Almighty God, we pray that as we come together around your word now, that we might behold you. That through your word, by your spirit, we might see your son, Jesus Christ, our saviour, and rejoice that we might know him. We thank you, Lord, for these gifts that have been given tonight and, and through the week, and we pray that you would use them, that more and more people in this city across this nation and around this world, might behold the Lord Jesus Christ and come to trust in him as Lord and Saviour, the only way through whom we might know you, our Heavenly Father. In his name we pray and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. One evening in February 1879, Constantine Falberg left the laboratory where he worked as a chemist researching coal tar, a sticky black substance that was a byproduct of the coal industry. He was trying to isolate new chemical substances from the stuff, something, anything that might be useful. As he sat down to dinner that night, Falberg placed a piece of bread into his mouth. To his surprise, the bread tasted incredibly sweet. He wiped his mouth with his napkin. As it brushed his lips, he realized that the napkin, too, tasted sweet. Slowly, it dawned on Falberg that it was, in fact, his fingers that were the source of the sweetness. He'd not washed his hands since leaving work. Full of excitement, he rushed back to the lab and began tasting the contents of every flask left out on the bench. Health and safety was a little bit different back then. Eventually, he worked out which substance was responsible for the incredible sweetness, and he set about isolating the compound. From the sticky black goo that is coal tar, something you would never want to put anywhere near your mouth, Falberg had discovered saccharin. Still used today as an artificial sweetener, it is more than 500 times sweeter than sugar. All through this sermon series, we've encountered appetizing and delicious food throughout the Bible. We've tasted and, and seen that the Lord is good. But this evening, our account deals with something altogether less appealing. Something repulsive. Something you'd, you'd never want to put in your mouth. At least, not if you were a first century Jewish man like Peter. But just like Falberg and his coltar, what we'll see is that out of something you first thought was disgusting can come something sweeter than you'd ever imagined. Let's read again of Peter's experience from verse 9 of Acts chapter 10. About noon the following day, as Cornelius' men were on their journey and approaching the city, 
Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. See, it wasn't that every animal on the sheets was unclean. It was much worse than that. They were a mix of clean and unclean animals. Like fingernails scraping down a blackboard, it was a sight that would have made Peter shudder. How could a vision from heaven present something so jarring, so offensive? How could the voice from heaven suggest something so distasteful as to kill and eat this mixed bag of animals? You see, we have to remember that that the Jewish food laws, the restrictions that God had, had given his Old Testament people, well, they were symbolic of all that it meant to be God's chosen people. Theologian Tom Wright puts it like this. He says, these food laws served to mark out the Jewish people from their non-Jewish neighbors. A rule reinforced by the prohibition on Jews eating with non-Jews, sharing table fellowship. The reasoning was clear. The people you sit down with and eat with are family. But the Jewish family had been called by God to be separate to bear witness to his special love and grace in the world, and must not, therefore, compromise with the world. And so you see, this this vision must have confused Peter. And what he heard next must have shaken his whole world. Verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Twice more, that that message is repeated to Peter, and then the vision recedes. And it's here that we see why, why this passage just had to be in this sermon series. Because you see, all through this term, we've wanted to look at food and meals in the Bible to see what we can learn from them about God, about his dealings with his people, about his ways in the world. And what we have here in Acts 10 and 11 is the Apostle Peter doing just that. He is presented with, with this baffling, unsettling vision A vision all about food, about what he can and and can't, should and and shouldn't eat. And he spends the rest of the account working out what it all means. What this vision teaches him about God, about God's people, about how God calls us to live in this, his world. 
You see, Peter didn't know at this stage that anyone was coming to see him. But just as he's beginning to ponder what it means, there's a knock at the door. And the Spirit prompts Peter to go down and to welcome the men. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Do not hesitate. That must have got Peter's mind worrying. And you can imagine, can't you, that all that evening as this devout Jewish man hosted those Gentile men in his house, as he heard their story, the the request of their master, their Roman centurion master, Peter must have been chewing things over, pondering what the Lord was showing him, what the, the significance of the sheet and the animals was, processing what would prove to be a world-changing revelation. A revelation sweeter than anything he could have imagined. And the next day, as they, they walked back to Caesarea, you wonder what was going on in Peter's mind. It was about 30 miles from, from Joppa up the coast, uh, so he'd have had plenty of time to think and to pray. Plenty of time to consider all that he knew about food and its significance in the scriptures. Plenty of time to to adjust to what had been revealed to him. Revealed to him through a vision. A vision about food and eating. But a vision with such far-reaching consequences. Consequences uh, that include you and me being here this evening. And by the time this travelling party arrived at Cornelius' house, it seems Peter had worked it out. We didn't read this earlier, but, but look with me now from verse 27 of Acts chapter 10. Because it's here that we first hear Peter's astonishing interpretation of the vision that he was shown. Verse 27. While he was talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Well, I wonder, did you notice it? Did you notice what Peter said? It's only a small shift, but it has cosmic significance. You are well aware, he said, that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Any one. That was not what the heavenly voice had said. Look again at verse 15. Do not call anything impure or unclean that God has made. Any thing. 
But friends, it's not that Peter's got it wrong or that he's somehow misremembered something that was repeated to him three times over. No, rather, over the intervening days, the Holy Spirit has been at work in Peter to reveal to him what the vision meant, what the wider significance of of this declaration about food really was. That's exactly what Peter says in verse 28. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And this was a, a monumental moment in the life of the people of God. Today, we're perhaps so used to how things are now that we miss how significant this was. You see, it had always been possible for those who didn't have a Jewish heritage to join the people of God. We see that all through the Old Testament. Jethro, Caleb, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah. They're all identified as as non-Israelites who had been accepted into the covenant community, who became Jewish. And the assumption in in Peter's day seems to have been that that it might be possible for non-Jewish people to become Christians. But only if they became Jewish first. But here, in Acts 10, through the, the powerful parallel of the food laws, here Peter is shown that now things were different. Now, after Christ had come, had died, had been raised to life, now anyone could know direct access to the Father. Anyone could come into the covenant community. That's what he says to Cornelius. Uh, Look with me from verse 34. And then Peter began to speak. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What a thing for a devout first century Jewish man to declare. God's promise to to Abraham to bless all the peoples of the earth through his family, well, now that promise was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom every nation may come to the living God. Now, it's worth just pausing here to note that some have said that these verses teach a a form of universalism. That anyone can be saved as as long as they're sincere and upright. But to think that is to miss the whole point of the story. The whole point is, is that Cornelius wasn't saved until Peter had come to him and told him of Jesus Christ. No matter how pious he might have been, how how generous, how kind, none of that would secure him a place in the people of God. Only Jesus Christ could do that. As Richard Lenski once put it, if Cornelius' honest pagan convictions had been sufficient, why did he seek the synagogue? And if the synagogue had been enough, why was Peter here? 
the whole reason that Peter had come to Cornelius was that he might proclaim Christ to him. And that's what he does. Let's read on from verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The message couldn't be clearer. The Christian gospel, the the good news that we proclaim, is an exclusive message. It is only through Jesus Christ Only through his life, death, and resurrection, only through his atoning sacrifice, that we may be made right with God. There simply is no other way. Muhammad, or Buddha, or good works, or religious observance, none of them will get you there. Only Jesus Christ. And yet the wonder of Acts 10, the the message of, of the mixed meats platter, is that this is a radically inclusive gospel. Anyone can come. Anyone may come to Christ to receive salvation. Friends, these verses reveal the radically inclusive, exclusive gospel. In Christ alone we are saved. But anyone may join us in putting their faith in him. And dear friends, that truth set the world alight. Immediately Cornelius and those with him upon hearing Peter's message of salvation in Christ Jesus, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and were baptized on the spot. And the whole of the rest of the book of Acts is is the story of thousands upon thousands being included in the only way they could be, through Jesus Christ. Years later, uh, this same Peter would address believers across modern-day Turkey, almost all of whom would have had non-Jewish backgrounds, with these words. But you are a chosen people 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, what a wonderful message. Revealed to Peter through a vision of something he first thought repulsive and repugnant. But which turned out to bring such sweet, sweet truth. That day in Caesarea, as he shared his table with Peter, Cornelius tasted and saw that the Lord is good. And what of us today? How might we more fully rejoice that we too have been included? If you are a believer here this evening, then you too have heard the message of Jesus Christ. You have responded to him in repentance and faith. And right now, he lives in you by his Holy Spirit. Don't miss the beauty of this account for us today. Because of of that vision then, because of Peter's faithfulness to God, because of God's faithfulness to his own promises, you and I have been welcomed in to the people of God. You and I may enjoy all the freedoms that come with that. Think of our, of our eating today. Around the world right now, billions of people are subject to food restrictions and regulations. Almost every world religion imposes dietary laws. But not so Christianity. We are are free to enjoy the good creation God has given us. Free to enjoy his provision. Sure, we're not to abuse that freedom through gluttony or drunkenness. And we may choose to fast or or to abstain from certain food or drink for a time or or for the benefit of others. But friends, we don't have to. We're free. Just as the the Jewish laws communicated something of the wider principles of the the set-apart covenant community, so our food freedom communicate something of our wider freedom in Christ. If we take nothing else away from this passage this evening, then then I hope we will at least know now a new dimension to our enjoyment of the food God has given us. As we tuck into a bacon sandwich or a prawn salad, as we savour a piece of pepperoni, or maybe even an ostrich steak. I wonder, will we give thanks? Will we give thanks not only for the gift of the food itself, but also for the freedom to eat it? 
Will we recognize, as, as Peter did, the deeper significance, the radically inclusive nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will we taste and see that the Lord is good? And let me just add here that, that if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, that's okay too. Friends, that's the whole point. We're free. Let us rejoice in that freedom. And let us also be careful to to guard the, the radically inclusive, exclusive gospel that the Lord made known to Peter. We must hold fast to the exclusivity of Christ, to his unique status as the only way to the Father, the only way to freedom. But friends, beyond that, we must put no restrictions on who may come. No barriers, cultural, racial, generational, educational. Now this wonderful gospel is for all. For each and every tribe and tongue and nation. And so let's live that out in our hospitality. Let's invite in those who aren't like us. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Learn to care for them and to love them well. Just think how how powerful it must have been for Cornelius to have Peter come into his house and sit at his table. How powerfully Peter's actions must have demonstrated the truth of his words that he really believed that the good news of Jesus Christ was for people such as these. Are we too inhabiting that truth? Are we inviting everyone to taste and see that the Lord is good? This Easter, is there someone in your life who you could invite. Invite them over for a cup of tea or out for a drink or round for dinner. Invite them in to your life to share a table with them. Invite them in to to the life of the church to share Christ with them. Wherever they're from, Whatever their background, will we realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right? Who are we to stand in the way of the good news of Jesus Christ going to all the world? Let us live out in our lives and in our words the great freedom that we have been granted in Christ Jesus. And let us invite everyone, everywhere, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that it was always your plan 
to bless people of every nation through your people. We thank you that our brother Peter heard and listened to what you said to him. Though it must have seemed so strange to him, he trusted in your goodness. We thank you that because of that, Cornelius, his household, and countless millions of others since, have been invited in and welcomed in to the people of God. We thank you that for so many of us in this room, we are the product of that promise, of that beautiful truth. And so, Lord, we pray that we might be those who share the good news of Christ with everyone, not excluding anyone from the possibility of hearing of Christ, of trusting in him, and of knowing life and freedom through him. Lord, would you give us boldness? Would you equip us that we might do that more readily? That we might do that more boldly? That we might proclaim a radically inclusive gospel of Jesus Christ? In his name we pray. Amen.